Welcome to the Early Years Conversations podcast with myself, Kate Moxley, Kerry Payne, and today we are joined by uh, Greg Bottrell, Advocate of Play and Childhood, and Sonia Mainstone Cotton, Early Years Wellbeing Consultant, Trainer, and Author. Thank you and welcome to everyone for being here this morning. Thank you for inviting me. Yes, great. Yep, and just to, I suppose, um, refer to the fact that we were chatting around, I think it's probably about five months or so ago now, when we started in this strange um, world of kind of lockdown and COVID restrictions, staying at home. And I think at that time we were almost kind of thinking about preparing, returning to settings, whether they're schools or homes as childminders or private day nurseries. So we were really kind of considering children's emotional uh, well-being and their mental health. And so we're recording this podcast and special video edition for Early Years Wellbeing Week in line with World Mental Health Day. And I suppose it's just a chat and a check-in, you know, how are we all feeling? Um, what is kind of happening in the early years, early years world that you're working in? And how can we continue to focus on joy and happiness and supporting children through this time as we approach kind of autumn and the phrase winter is coming seems to be coming out of lots of people's mouths so how can we kind of prepare ourselves and our children for what is ahead so Sonia should we come to you how are you feeling yeah I'm feeling okay which I'm sounding slightly surprised at um because it's week week God, I don't even know where we are. It's week five of the term. So I work, I work in schools. I work with children with social, emotional, mental health needs. So I've been back in schools for the last five weeks. And that is, that is wonderful. I have to say, I was sick to death of doing Zoom sessions. It doesn't really work with a four-year-old. Um, so I'm, I'm back in schools. I'm really enjoying it. I feel a little bit guilty saying that, I have to say, because I know a lot of people are really stressed at being back in the workplace and I know I'm I'm in a really weird position in that I'm in lots of schools and I've had endless conversations this week with my team about how do we do that in a safe way and and yesterday I was feeling really fed up with it all but today the sun is shining and I'm feeling quite happy you have got a wonderful um piece of like peace like a beam of sunlight coming through and it's, <laughs> it's wonderful and hopefully it's going to spread through to all of us so <laughs> greg how about yourself yeah i'm i'm feeling good it's my birthday today so one day of the year when you're allowed to feel good about yourself isn't it i guess uh the 365 um yeah i yeah it's um it's been it's been interesting kind of obviously I don't work in a school necessarily, not anymore. So I'm kind of on the sidelines a little bit. Um, what I would say is the kind of work that you're doing in the week for mental health, it feels even more critical than ever. You know, you just go on the social media and, and, and forums, Twitter, feels like those who are, you know, in the classroom, in settings are are really struggling at the minute collectively. And yes, there are moments of joy, and, but it, it feels that way. There's, it's, there's lots of challenges. Yeah, absolutely. We interviewed Andrew Cowley, author of the Wellbeing Toolkit earlier this week, and he described it as Christmas tired. 
Um, as Sonia said, you know, five weeks into the term, but we're with the, well, I can't say we because I'm not working in a school, but teachers and early years practitioners, you know, they are saying it's kind of that Christmas tired. Yeah. We, I think those of, you know, we can kind of all re recognize what that must be. And so it is trying to find ways in which we can, um, you know, it's okay to feel positive about stuff if the people around are kind of struggling. I suppose it's the ways in which we're able to support one another, um, to, I suppose, share ideas and create those spaces really uh, with regard to the workforce. So in terms of children's um, mental health and emotional well-being um, in particular, we hear lots of people kind of throwing around like the words resilience and, we, and how children, children, um, you know, cope so well that, you know, children are really resilient, um, you know, children adapt well, um, they're more resilient than we realise. But to be resilient, to be able to develop that bounce back ability. Um, children need to have that emotional support, that um, supportive environment around them. So that's parents, carers. It's not just by chance that children develop resilience to enable them to uh, manage stress, uncertainty and anxieties as well at this time. So, you know, if we're thinking about how we can look out for and support children's emotional well-being during this time what would you say Sonia yeah I mean oh it's really interesting I mean my immediate my immediate thought is we've got a dog joining us my immediate thought is that um actually a lot of the children I work with aren't, aren't resilient they don't fit that category actually so the children I work with are four-year-olds who have been identified as having quite severe social emotional mental health difficulties for a whole host of reasons so actually what I'm seeing is children who in the first couple of weeks were just about coping with the change and actually coping far better than I thought. But now as we're getting into the term, they're settling, they're beginning to feel like they understand actually more the realization of, Oh my God, we're here all the time. <laughs> I think that's dawning on them and actually they're not coping. So I'm seeing an increased amount of children not coping. Um, so what do we do or how do we help those who have got resi good resilience to kind of keep that going? Uh, I mean, I, I think a big one for me this year particularly is really exploring how we do outdoors um, and how we use the outside with children. So that's something I've always been really interested in. I have to say, I, I had a bit of a, um, a pivotal more moment during the summer holidays where I was involved in a play scheme um, for children, for primary age children with social emotional health difficulties. Now, most of these children have been in lockdown and not been anywhere. And our, our play scheme brought them together and we were outside the whole time. And I was really, really able to see how that open-endedness of being outdoors. I know, Greg, it's something you're a massive firm believer in, in that open-endedness of being outside. But the being out, the connecting with nature is just so vital so certainly for me this term I'm always talking about being outside with schools but even more so so most of the sessions so I do one-to-one -one sessions with children and I'm intentionally trying to do them outside so even though it's my normal sensory stuff so all week this week I've been playing with play-doh I've been making play-doh and using emotions and an emotional vocabulary around play-doh outside so we've been going out and finding sticks and leaves and feathers and bits to go in the play-doh 
but we're being out doing it and then noticing what's around us. And that sounds really tiny, but actually I've noticed that has that immediately that's making quite a difference. That's really helping. So it's too much to unpack there. Kerry, yeah. I was going to say, what's really interesting about that is um, there is a lot of talk on social media around the fact that windows and doors are open into every classroom and all the children are cold being indoors. So actually ensuring that they have obviously the good clothing to be outdoors. But if they're going to be sat inside freezing, you might as well actually get them outside and, and engage yeah. in and using some of those energies to, to really Definitely. engage with the outdoors. So. One of the best, best comments I had yesterday was... Um, one of my schools. So one of the things I recommended for this little boy, he's a, he, um, he becomes overregulated very, but he become really overexcitable very, very quickly. So he's got quite high vestibular and proprioceptive senses. Those are quite high and they really need kind of supporting. So we've done lots of action planning around that, but sometimes we also need to help him come down. And one of the recommendations I made was barefoot walking. Now I'm a massive fan of barefoot walking. I really like it for myself. I use it. I use it a lot with children. I got to the school yesterday and the TA said she'd taken a small group out with this little boy because the class was being monitored or something and it was best just to get this small group out. So the small group went out and uh, he, my little boy immediately turned to the others and said, you need to take your shoes and socks off now. And they looked aghast and went, no, we're not allowed to do that. And he went, no, no, you do. That's what we do now. We take our shoes and socks off and then we walk on the grass. <laughs> it was like, yes, brilliant. For one, a school is actually listening and doing what I've asked, which is always a bonus. <laughs> but, but actually, just in a few days, the TA said that had made a real difference. And he loves it and was then sharing it with his classmates. Brilliant. That is so magical. That's such a lovely tale. And the, the way he's connected with his peers as well in that situation, it's really lovely. Great. Really wonderful. It makes me think um, about Beetle Woods Outdoor Nursery. I visited there a couple of weeks ago. Um, Beetle Woods, I'm, I think I've probably talked about it before and you might be familiar with Rachel Macbeth Webb's work. She has an outdoor nursery in Warwickshire and it's the first outdoor nursery of its kind, you know, in, in this area and she's nearly three years in, in, in running it and um, so she had an original base camp of children and then this year she set up a second camp because it's been so popular but she's also started a flexi ed so some of the children that go to the flexi ed they are and I've been meaning to talk to you about this Kerry because it's just so magical I mentioned it to Greg actually um, but some of the children from flexi ed are homeschooled and some of them are homeschooled because that's the parents choice but some of the children are homeschooled or now flexi-ed between her and schools locally because they have got a diagnosis of SEN whatever that might be some of the children that I observed in the woods having the most wonderful day um, couldn't be in school for more than a certain amount of hours without a one-to-one -one. and yet in the woods they were different human beings and it was so wonderful to see children with really quite specific requirements just you know reaching kind of their full potential but having so much confidence and it was just their parents like Rachel talks about you know their parents just can't believe the difference and sometimes it just make me think we're setting children up to fail and um, in in environments that aren't suited for them and yet here we are in a woodland where some people would think what outside all day long I saw um, a post on Facebook um, a nursery saying they were thinking of closing because the weather's going to be bad on Friday and they haven't got much of an outdoor space 
this, my mind goes to Rachel's camp, <laughs> three camps now, where they're all outside. They don't have much shelter from the elements, but like Kerry mentioned, they are equipped and dressed to deal with the elements. Um, and, you know, in the winter months, they explore more of the site because their bodies are intrinsically motivated to keep warm. And in the, um, the did I say warmer months? Colder months, obviously, they're moving more. And in the warmer months, they stick closer to base camp because um, they don't need to keep their bodies warm. They're not, you know, it's really, really interesting how, how it happens. And it's also really, really interesting to see what's happening with Greg. Um, and, this is um, a new podcast, is that right? Yeah. <laughs> it's definitely going to create some joy, definitely. I'm really sorry, guys. I feel like I'm just, the dogs are kind of yet again taking over my life. <laughs> sorry. That's okay. So... <laughs> What what are you what do you think about what we've been talking about so far? Well, well, I would say, in a way, what it does is it sums up just how pivotal I feel. I feel we're at like a pivotal moment where the adult world has got this opportunity to see the magic. It's got the opportunity to see that learning doesn't have to happen in a classroom, and that actually, you know, the experience. Um, Sonia was describing now about the particular child is that actually it's play is a, is a house for all children. And I, to me, that, that's, that can, that can be a really exciting kind of point, I think in actual education itself. And it's an opportunity as to whether we take it or not. And it feels like there's two kind of schools of thought, the catch up crew, and then the, the, the people that recognise childhood. And it's not a battle, it's just about which, which world are we gonna try and shape for children? I know which world I'm in, I know which world I want children to be in, and it's not the catch-up crew, by the way, just as a, <laughs> I probably didn't need to say that, did I? But, um, you know, it's, we are, it's uh, because, because play has got everything that children need within it, everything. And I often talk about, you know, if we, if we drew a circle and we said, what do we want children to know and understand and be and experience? And we wrote everything down. We just, we just kind of jotted down. We might write a hundred words of all the things that we wanted. And we would know that that circle would be play because it encompasses everything, especially when the adult is in there, like Sonia's talking, where you're actually being outside with children or in Rachel's experience, when you're in the play with the children, and I think it's that bit that we can begin to explore as a as a sector is the magic. I talk about magic a lot, don't I? It's good. But it's true. I was just going to say, but actually linking back to what Sonia was speaking and feeding into what Greg's saying, um, I have been writing around um, special educational needs and the concept that children with SEND, the best way, it's so imperative that the way that they have opportunities to learn is through play and often their experiences are taking them to out-of-class interventions or um, having play-based intervention but actually goes against the very definition of, of true play. Um, but actually by providing those opportunities and not just in planned experiences but in everyday experiences, that is building the resilience through a pandemic as well, that 
really valuing. And I think that that's something that we have lost in the sector is that we see so many definitions of play and types of play, but we have to go back to that true definition of it being very much owned and initiated by the child and our role within that. Yes, we need to be in it, but we need to be in it as players ourselves. So from our own initiations and our own perspectives and that using play as a form of resilience is definitely could be powerful if more settings um, embrace the magic as, as Greg talks about. Obviously that concept of magic is so important. All I would add, yeah, absolutely. All, all I would add is one thing is that it is that thing of play is not just for children. Mm. And it is about, I do believe there is a narrative that's disconnected teachers from it, from what they teach. Um, and it's made us quite inauthentic in what we do. So one example would be, I was talking about it on Twitter this morning about the phonic screening test. I never call it a, a check because it's not a check, it's a test. Mm -hmm. But the test, the, people will teach alien words in reception. Why do they do that? Well, they do it so that, because of the phonic screening test. But to me, that's completely inauthentic. That's not play. We should be trying to show children that, that language can be played with. So you can play with language from the age of two with children, even before. I mean, even when with babies, we're playing with communication. And what we do then is we are showing children the joy of playing with language. And as we teach them to read, they will pass the phonics screening test because they've seen the joy, not the inauthentic do this so that you can pass the, te pass the test. And I think that's the critical thing for me, that play is not, we talk about play being learning, but when the adults in there as a player as well then the extra bits of learning happen as well because we're showing children the world and i think it's that that's really important definitely i was and just going to say greg's now got a golden hue as well if you know <laughs> it was like god was talking you've both got magical <laughs> powers today magical powers <laughs> I'm really interested in hearing what you say about the intervention because obviously the work I do, so I'm a consultant going into schools and I'm working with a child and I go in, I literally go in and I come out again. I go in and I, I spend time with a child and I, I talk to the staff and I do go in and I do do some intervention and there are definitely pros and cons and there are difficulties there, but, but I really like the way that you, it's about, so what I do is I work with a TA with the child. So all my children have TAs who will support them during the day or parts of the day. And my job is as much about helping those TAs, modeling to those TAs about what I want them to be doing in the rest of the week. And it is definitely about that coming in and being alongside them and playing. So although I might have, so this week, my idea has been, I've made Play-Doh and we're going to explore the Play-Doh and we might make some faces, but we might not, we'll see where it goes. Now, some have made faces, most of them haven't. Most of them have made, oh, goodness knows, all different things have been, but it's about that exploration. But as you as an adult, letting go of your prefixed idea and being able to run with it and see where the child takes it. But what's been really lovely is I've then left the Play-Doh because of the pandemic. I'm not using the same Play-Doh with each children. So they all now have their own tub of Play-Doh and it's their Play-Doh and their names on it. But what that's meant is, the TAs have continued some of that work during the week and allowed it to continue in a really natural way if the children have been keen to use that. 
And so actually it's developing the TA's ability, I think, to be able to go with that continuing following their child's interests. Because actually the best one in the world, I know that that's continuing provision, following a child's interests. That's what I'm passionate about. That's what my background's been. That's what my training's been. That's what I train people in. But a lot of the TAs I work with haven't had that. So I'm actually expecting quite a lot of them, but actually giving them the play and going, keep going with it, see where it goes, giving them permission, play, play with them, don't just sit and watch. It's been really interesting to see where that goes. And, I, I, and again, I think the pandemic actually is bringing about some really good stuff in that way, you know, saying to staff a bit more of, yeah, let's, let's, let's tweak this. Let's try this different. Let's see where it takes you. Go outside. Don't worry what the teacher says. Go outside. <laughs> see where it, you know, see where you go. So. A lot of the feedback that I've had from, because um, I work with a lot of early years practitioners involved in SEN um, and, and wider, but the, the pandemic, considering it's been so restricting, it's actually allowed so many people to relinquish control and almost... Um, I was speaking to somebody who, who's engaged in a lot of intervention, but he said, actually, it's become a golden thread. The intervention is a framework and a model. And he was like, what's been amazing is, whereas we used to be very procedural driven with intervention, like we must get this five children, this group of five children to sit still and pay attention. And, you know, I'm referring to a, a recent DFE intervention, but he was talking about the fact that by relinquishing control, it's that golden thread of seeing it all merge into everyday experiences. And he was like, the bubbles have actually become these little nests of connectivity. And he said his children are now completely outdoing their smart targets. They are engaging in peers, they're taking risks. And it is because they've almost been forced to let go of all the procedural aspects of, of play and intervention and really just embrace being in the moment, which is, you know, such a, a crucial part of children's and adults' experiences in the early years. Mm. Yeah, well, what I was going to add is I think this time has, in lots of different ways, um, enabled or provoked people to consider the systems that they follow, the procedures, the way things operate within um, and the structures within their organisations and settings. And, you know, having that confidence to go back to our purpose. Why are we doing this? Who are we doing this for? Because I think lots of times we are doing things for other people, whether it's monitoring visits, whether it's regulatory visits and inspections, whatever that might be. And in some ways, early childhood has become about preparing children for a future with skills that they need in the future, rather than meeting them exactly where they are right now. And what we're talking about is is actually really what they need if we really want to pre like prepare them for that future. It's it's all of the things that we know and believe in, which is nurturing their emotional well-being, supporting them, doing, like you know, playing with them, and understanding that that's where the magic is. Greg, do you like the way I got that in? You know, just really taking ownership and understanding our purpose and our why, and going back to kind of basics, really. Yes, absolutely. And I think part of that is, is going back to the, the adult role is it does it. It's play is um, it's like a, I think I might have mentioned this before, but it's like a rebirth. When adults play, something happens within them. I, I, it's happened to me. I know that much. And I know I know when people go on that adventure into play, 
you find that child back that's inside you. We've all got children inside of us, haven't we? But we're like children that have got a curriculum as well, and you know, and a mortgage and bills and boring stuff. <laughs> but it's that thing of our own magical capacity expands, and it's that bit that I believe can bring the well-being to the sector. The more we play, the more possibility of well-being. It's not a you know, it's not a um, it's not a, 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 a fix all, but it at least is the a greater possibility that we find joy going back to the joy word, which I think is probably the most critical word that we all probably need to hear at the minute joy. Mm. I mean, uh, to add to that, I read a book a few years ago where it suggested um, for us to take on joy, to embrace it, we need to really embrace it. So there's this idea that when things are ha negative happen in our lives, that kind of sticks to our brains quite quickly. It becomes an automatic thing. Whereas for joy to kind of stay on our mind, we need to actively say to ourselves and embrace that joyful moment. And they reckon for about 14, 15 seconds. And I think, so a question I often ask around training I do is, you know, how much, how aware are you when you're experiencing a joyful moment? Which sounds really daft, but I think we can be so busy, you know, we're not so good at those mindful and that noticing. And kind of encouraging people to kind of really embrace that. And a bit like what you were saying, Greg, about, Greg, about um, you know, really being playful as adults. And then another question is, so what do you do in your life that's playful? So I know for me, I, 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 I cold water swim. I'm passionate about cold water swimming. Totally nuts, totally insane, I know that. But so a few weeks ago, we were in Brecon Beacons, swimming in waterfalls, which was just flipping freezing. But amazing so I went away for the weekend with my husband had an incredible time and I I was I can now call it back being in the waterfall experiencing that sound that sensation of the waterfall coming down standing underneath it was so joyful and I you know I'm intentionally in this term saying what am I doing that's bringing me joy you know what so a conversation over breakfast this morning with my husband was what are we going to do this weekend? You know, we're end of week five of this term. What are we doing? That so clearly Greg's got joyful because of the dog. <laughs> I was going to say actually the the thing that I've been doing and recognizing my own playful ways and my own joy is actually naming what is play. And I, me and my husband, because I think a lot of play. Um, it happens behind closed doors in the sense of you're with your, with your close um, friends, family or whatever. And one of the things that I've noticed is me and my husband speak mostly to each other in dog voices. So we've got two chihuahuas and we, and we always say we speak our truth through our creatures. So I will pick up Monchichi and be like, you really annoyed me today with this thing. And it's like safer to speak through my dog than through myself. <laughs> But like we literally, 80% of our relationship is speaking in Monchichi and Snufkin's voice. And it's so, <laughs> it's pretend play, it's so playful. Um, but I think it's saying to adults, recognize your forms of play, name them as play and joyful, because it then helps you to connect with children more meaningfully, because you know what that feeling of joy is. You, you, you know what that feels like when it's happening in your, in your own adults. And I presume, I don't know about you, Sonia, if you've got pets, but I know... Kate and Greg probably have their own dog voices. Apparently it is a thing. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I have got a dog voice. And it's funny because 
Buddy is seven, but in dog years, I'm no good at maths. In dog years, he's about 50 something, isn't he? And so sometimes we go, oh, buddy, you're just so tiny and cute and talk to him like this. And then my daughter, who's 15, will go, you know, he's 57, don't you? Why? <laughs> Why are you speaking to him like that? And I'm like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't know. But, <laughs> but um, I just, I mean, just listening to that conversation, was joyful to be fair. I think, and a lot of my work is with adults. Um, sometimes I, and especially at the moment, I'm sad that my work takes me away from children, working directly with children. And um, that's something that I really miss and, and want to change in the future. But my work is a lot of times with practitioners and staff. And when we talk about moments of joy, things that people do to fill them up, that nourish them, that make them feel happy, ask people to recall moments of joy and happiness in their life. It is a real struggle. And exactly what you said, Sonia, the brain likes to remember the negative stuff. And especially at the moment, it's kind of been rewiring to try and keep us safe. So we are automatically clocking up and registering all the, all the negative things like that kind of a threat detection system. And actually we want to reroute that wiring and we want to actually take control back and find moments of happiness and joy throughout this time and not live in a world where we just live to work and we hold on for half terms and weekends until we're worn out, exhausted. And that is the point of having these wonderful conversations, I, I, I firmly believe, because we have to take control back if we want to create these, um, these, these moments for the children in our care, then we have to do it ourselves, don't we? Absolutely, we do. And that's what's so crucial. I just think um, it will be so um, helpful for people to have heard this conversation today. It's been so wonderful chatting with you all. Um, what we've been trying to finish the um, special edition podcast this week with is, um, are there any specific things that you have read or listened to or enjoyed recently that you would signpost people to? I mean, I wish I could go swimming in a waterfall this weekend, Sonia, but I don't think that's going to happen. Um, so I hope I'm not putting anyone on the spot there. But is there any, anything that you would signpost people to that would kind of link to our conversation today? Yeah, I've got one. So an article I was reading this week in The Guardian was around the Nordic way. So I read it in a few places. The Guardian had an article and then um, National Geographic had an article. So it's the idea that um, in Norway, they're some of the happiest people. So I'm quite interested in the Scandinavian way anyway. But Nor in Norway, the class as being some of the happiest people. They also have the least amount of sunlight, which is quite interesting in some parts of their country. And yet, they're still very happy, which is really curious. Now, a big thing for people in Norway is being outside all the time. So it kind of links with what we've been saying. So they have this, you've probably seen the, the Danish books. I'm going to get the word wrong. I don't know how you say it. Heig or Hug or... Yeah, that one, that, whatever. So there's that, the Danish way. But now there's a Nordic one, which is this, which, okay, I'm going to try and pronounce to you because I have this new book. So apparently it's, I'm, gonna, I'm really sorry if anybody's Scandinavian listening and I've done it completely wrong. It's free loose leaf. Free Ooh, I like that. I know, it's cool, isn't it? It's a beautiful, beautiful book. It's gorgeous. So it's basically, it's my sort of books. It's got, it's just got a picture and then something, a little bit of writing next to it. Beautiful, beautiful photos. And it's lots of ideas about being outside, connecting with nature, 
I mean, there was, if I'm honest, there was nothing new in it that I hadn't heard of before, really. It had barefoot walking, so that's quite exciting. It also finishes with skinny dipping, which, you know, I could fully endorse. That is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> but it was just, it's just a really beautiful book. It may, maybe that's why I'm so happy. I read that this morning. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, this is great. Sounds fabulous. Great. Yeah. Um, might be, it's not an article, it's just a, a I guess it's something that I do quite a bit nowadays. It's just the art of noticing the small world. So just finding the joy in the little things. So, you know, when this is for the dog lovers out there, you know, when the dog shakes their head and their ears flap from, you know, that noise, and it goes on the side of their head. Yeah. That is the joy of the little things. I've also got a spider that's that's grown a grown a web what it was spin spun a web grown <laughs> spun a web on the um wing mirror of my car so when i drive around it goes it moves in the wind and the spot i can see the spider by the way i'm concentrating on what i'm doing not looking at the spider <laughs> but it just brings real happiness like walking in the woods and i know i'm lucky i've got a wood where i live and like there's a little family of deer and they pop up to come and say hello and it's utterly just a little thing but it means everything so i know to say we should look for the small things i, I always think of things like when we should do things i always part of me the petulant part of me just says i'm not going to do it then if you're telling me to should do it but it's also like it's more about just allowing them to pop out at you and that can be at work with children or or at home because there's lots of little things that we can find joy in yeah and, it, and i suppose it's not the should it's the notice what they are for you yes those yeah wonderful is there anything you would add kerry um probably following on from greg's yeah i think it's um what i've definitely learned to do in lockdown is to really um treasure those little moments and again coming back to dogs i don't know if you you guys are the same but the smell of your own dog is addictive like even their dog breath is like the most joyous thing. So just being snuggled up with dogs. And you know what has, I think the thing that has helped me survive lockdown is a good podcaster, a funny podcaster. My husband has been trying to get me to listen to the Adam Buxton podcast for ages. And I was like, no, I hate his jolly tunes. And then this week I've kind of just dived in and there's nothing more joyous of listening to a podcast and actually laughing along as the, um, hosts are laughing so yeah podcasts have been and then we developed our own podcast Kate so yeah those those little moments and and I was listening to a podcast the other day that said exactly that we've suddenly started to really embrace the mundane because it's the mundane where the joy usually sits we don't need you know big um you know exuberant things it's it's that swimming in just cold water and that feeling and yeah let your dog lick your face as we've watched Greg for the entire podcast. <laughs> what about you, Kate? Well, we should title this podcast the Dog Lovers Podcast because it seems to be like that's all we've, we've talked about. I think for me, it's been um, embracing autumn and just really enjoying and noticing how much I enjoy autumn and the season and Oh, what Can we you address your pumpkin obsession? Because it, it, I, I was worried yesterday when I saw a Moxley, a Moxley pumpkin on your Instagram. Yeah, I 
Yeah, do you know how I feel about pumpkins is they bring me joy and happiness. I like to collect them and um, different styles of pumpkins and uh, just decorating the house. And I feel like after this year, I'm just going to embrace all of these little moments and celebrate as much festivity and happiness, whether that's a pumpkin or whatever it might be with Christmas coming up and winter, it's finding it everywhere I can. And I do have a bit of a sense of humour with it. I know it's slightly unusual, but I think, you know, each to their own, you know. To their own, yes. I, I think this, I just love autumn, but then, then after autumn, I'm like, oh, but I love spring, but it just, autumn, it's almost like, oh, it's just that new, it's just a, you know, I don't know whether it's like, a, it feels like just um, falling in love with things all over again, letting things go and just enjoying and noticing things. So yeah, that's mine. So thank you so much, everyone, for joining in with our Early Years Conversation Special Edition podcast. You can find Sonia and Greg um, across social media if you want to follow them for more information on anything they've talked about today. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.